Hello, welcome to A View From The Side podcast with me, your host, Rosie Clement Henry. On this podcast, we're going to look at art in Wales. I'll be interviewing established artists on their careers to recent graduates, as well as art historians and curators on the artists and issues that matter most to them. In this difficult time, I want this podcast to inspire and uplift those who are passionate about the arts and specifically to give a platform to our experiences in Wales. Today I'm delighted to welcome Bernard Mitchell to a view from the side, one of Wales's most important and long-standing figures in the cultural scene. Bernard was born in Morriston in 1947. Over his 50-year career, he has photographed many leading Welsh artists and writers. His interest was sparked by a college project which led him to document the famous Swansea Gang in 1967. After graduating from Berkshire College of Art with a degree in photography, he worked as a photographic journalist in London and Shropshire, but his interest in Welsh art and culture always remained. When recognised for his photographs from the 1960s by the National Library of Wales with an exhibition in the 1990s, Bernard began again with an urgency to document Wales's vast creative life and make the Welsh arts archive. He has photographed Joseph Herman, Ernest Sabole, Christine Kinsey, of which many of these photographs were published in his book, Pieces of a Jigsaw Puzzle, Portraits of Artists and Writers in Wales, in 2017. In, in non-COVID times, he continues to photograph artists who make up Wales's lively artistic scene. Hi Bernard, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you. And it's so nice to see you. Yeah, it's really nice to see you. So I'd love to begin at the beginning. What are your earliest memories of arts growing up in Morriston and when did you first pick up a camera? Well, my first camera was a pinhole camera made of a cardboard box with a pillbox stuck on the front of it with a little hole in it uh, and the lid for a lens, which we made at junior school. And the teacher, obviously, was very keen. To, and we developed the, the paper negatives uh, in the caretaker's office at the school, Cymru Cairo School. And that uh, was my first camera. When I, I took the, the box home and we'd finished at school, about nine or ten year old at the time. I, I built a little dark room underneath the stairs at home with a little red lamp so that I could uh, develop the photographs there. So, And you'd have to have such a long exposure, maybe. So if you were photographing your friends, for instance, you'd have to sit them on a chair outside in the sunshine, ask them not to move at all, and, uh, and then then go inside and develop them like that. So I suppose that was my first portrait. And from there on, as time went on, my father and mother bought me a little Kodak uh, 127, I think it was called, a little plastic camera, which had a shutter but and a lens, but no, nothing more complicated than that. And you couldn't stop movement, which was very frustrating. So it was probably about a sixtieth of a second. So I used to try and photograph the steam trains coming up through Cymru de Cairo, through the cutting there. And of course, it wouldn't it'd be all a blur. Yeah. <laughs> moving. My father was very interested in art. If if you were interested in something, he was very clever, my father, because I had two other brothers as well. But if you thought that you were interested in something, and I was interested in in art because he he was interested in art and we used to go to the Glen Vivian and that and that's where I discovered Kerry Richards. We we went to London so we went to the National Gallery in London and then one day because I was doing German O levels now I'd got to that stage 
uh, down at the Dylan Thomas Centre, that was a college of further education in those days. And uh, one of the subjects I was doing was German, so he said, you used to get the Sunday Times. And of course, because I was interested in photographs, I used to cut out the photographers, like John Bulmer, for instance. Amazing, yeah. Uh, yeah. I had a great big uh, scrapbook that he brought home from work. Uh, it was an old ledger, a leather-bound ledger. And I used to stick in this ledger these photographs that I cut out, and each page would be a particular photographer. So what I was doing was teaching myself the work that I appreciated or admired. So say someone like John Bulmer who worked for the Sunday Times. Now my father used to have the Sunday Times and the colour supplement was the first colour supplement uh, ever produced. It was the first of the, the Sunday papers to produce a colour supplement. And in those days they used to produce some marvellous photography. And it'd be very, very uh, dramatic. Like you would have people, people, war photographers, mm. Bruce Davidson, Philip Jones Griffiths, people like that, whose work I would cut out and admire and, and try and follow, I suppose, one day perhaps. And it was always, I, I suppose, my ambition to perhaps go into newspapers. And that became, well, that was another story. But um, my father also said to me, he said, well, he got the Sunday Times one day. There was a small ad in the Sunday Times and he said, German philosophy, Vienna University. Now you've got to understand, I'm 16 at the time. And uh, he said, oh, summer school, he said. Um, do you fancy going off to Vienna? Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah, fine. So, of course, off to Vienna I went with a suitcase. We went to Swansea Station. He saw me on the train and that, yeah. and that was the end of that. I went all the way to Vienna on the train. Uh, and... Um, of course, when I was in Vienna, I went to see Bruegel, mm. you know? I went to see the original Dürer drawings in the National Library of Austria. Uh, I mean, and I made the most of it. I mean, I was also learning the piano at the time, so I went to lots of concerts mm. and that sort of thing. So I didn't really do a lot of German and philosophy. <laughs> Did you see any of Klimt's there as well? No, I didn't go to the Klimt. I wasn't a fan of Klimt. Mm. I was more more into Bruegel than Klimt. Mm -hmm. I loved Bruegel's work, and and of course Dürer I liked as well. I guess those that um that style of painting well, quite the, the genre, so it's of people and stories. I so suppose yeah. now I'm, I'm a bit older now. Yeah. I might have understood it better. Mm -hmm. I mean, he took us to uh, well, Mum and I and Dad. We we ended up the first ever time he had a trip abroad. We we decided to go to Paris for a week, and of course we went to the Louvre. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, all this type of thing. I, mean, I think we went to Rodin's house. From an early age, you're taking a lot of broad artistic yeah. inspiration. Yeah. So I think that my, my father really encouraged me, mm. and uh, photography went alongside this. And particularly when that, when I had the the first real proper camera, when I was walking down to where I was at school, and uh, Evan Jones's camera shop was on Wine Street in Swansea, mm. and I went in. In the window was a Leica camera, 1932, very old camera, but it was superb, you know, Leica is one of the best. So I went in and Evan, he was a very nice man, he knew me well because I was always going in there and pestering, I'd buy the odd roll of film and that type of thing. But I said, oh, can I borrow the, the Leica on, on, on proof of this and try it out? Well, of course, I had no chance of buying it. And of course, that's when the gas explosion happened. And, uh, of course, I'd rung the Western Mail and South Wales Echo, and they'd sent a car from Cardiff, and 
and therefore had three pictures on the South Wales Echo that evening and one in the Daily Telegraph because I think they'd sold it on uh, the following day because when I went to school somebody said to me, you better, it must be you, I said, I was in the Telegraph today, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> amazing. So that's how it sort of all progressed, if you like. Yeah, I can see that. Did that, was that moment for you, did that make you want to become a photographer for newspapers? Yeah, I mean, I thought, well, I what I wanted to do, I didn't really have a firm idea on newspapers, although that obviously made me realise that the, the camera was £32, and that was big money in yeah. 1966. I thought, uh, what I want basically is somebody to pay me to travel and to take photographs. <laughs> and combine that, yeah. Combine that, it, it's newspapers, isn't it? Mm. If you're a newspaper photographer, you're going to travel and somebody's going to pay you to take photographs. And the strange thing is that when eventually, you see, I tried to get into newspapers by writing to papers like the Evening Post and the Western Mail and every other paper I could think of in the country, asking if they took on trainees and if there were any positions available. And I was totally unlucky and nobody was taking anybody on. That uh, I ended up, I thought, well, what, I better go to college then. So I ended up going to... There were very few colleges. There were no colleges doing degrees. You know, mm. At the time, the first degree course it was in Newport. Mm. And it was the year after I started college that Newport started up. Uh, because Newport became quite famous for the... Like, documentary the, photography. Yeah. And David Hearn, the famous photographer in Wales, he started that course. And, of course, I would have gone to Newport if it had been open when I wanted to go, but I went to Reading, it yeah. didn't matter, <laughs> because... Did you enjoy Reading in the, yeah. that period? Because I guess it was the 60s as well, did you travel to London quite a lot? Yes, really? indeed, yeah. uh, and, and the thing is, I, I also made myself a nuisance, mm. you see. I mean, I, I for instance, uh, I wrote to the Sunday Mirror, and I said, uh, you know, you really do need a, a photographer like me, because, you know, I'm the best, because you're very cocky at that age. <laughs> and I got a very nice interview with the editor of the Sunday Mirror, Christiansen very famous editor in Fleet Street of the day. And he he got me an interview with... He said, I can't take long because you're too young, you know. But actually what he did do, he said, well, I, I, I'll give you a job, he says. I, well, you, you look look like a student, he said. I, well, I said, I'm still a college, actually. And he said, well, he said, go to Oxford University. He said, there's a bus going from there to Birkenhead and it's going to be the launching of the first Polaris submarine. And there's going to be a lot of trouble. There's going to be demonstrations from the band of bomb and the, the peace movement. They're going to be, and there's going to be trouble. And the, so I went, I went to Oxford and I got on the bus and pretended to be a student, I suppose, and, but I photographed what amazing demonstrations. That, yeah, what it historic was, moments. Yeah. Yes, mm -hmm. and of course there were police on horses wielding these batons into the crowd in echelon, mm -hmm. into the crowd of demonstrators. They were old ladies and women with children. I mean, and they didn't stop. It was it was horrific, and that was uh, one of the first sort of demonstrations. And when I eventually, when I was in Reading, I mean, the funny story was, I, one day I was walking past near where my my flat was, mm -hmm. and there was a chemist shop, and in the chemist shop window was this Rolleiflex that I have here, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. and it was expensive, and yeah. it's eighty pound in nineteen sixty six. And, of course, I didn't have that sort of money as a student. I said to the chap, I said, well, can I pay for it a bit at a time, you know, part, uh, higher purchase sort of thing? Oh, yes, OK. I don't think he... He really shouldn't have had that in a chemist shop, an ordinary chemist shop window. Really expensive cameras exactly. to be selling in chemist shops. Isn't it strange? So perhaps he was pleased that someone wanted it. Someone was going to have to. 
and he agreed to that. So what I did was I went and made myself a nuisance in the Reading Evening Post newspaper and I would do little pictures, what we call in the newspaper trade, filler pictures. And therefore, this is what I do every week. I try and find a picture somehow to sell to the paper. And one day I was in there and the number two in charge of the photographic department, a man called Hayden Jones, said to me, he said, you want to be in newspapers, don't you? I said, yes, of course I do. That's, of course, I'm paying for this camera now and the photographs. And, yeah, he said, I'm going to be promoted to a new Thompson newspapers in Hem and Hempstead. And he said, where are you from? He said, I said, Swansea. I thought you were from that way. He said, I know your name. He said, Bernard Mitchell. He said, gas explosion, he said. <laughs> I was working on the Western Mail and South Wales Echo in the darkroom and I developed your film. Wow. Of the gas explosion. What a crossover cast. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, he said, I can get you an interview. They're looking for, they're taking on 18 photographers for this new paper, the Watford Evening Echo. And I've got to be the chief photographer. Mm. I can get you an interview, but I can't promise you you'll get the job, but I'll get you the interview. Mm. So, of course, that actually ended up was my first job when I left college. They said, um, oh, no, you've got a driving licence, haven't you? No, but I, I, I'm learning, I said, and um, I, I got my test shortly. And um, anyway, that was funny because I said to the driving uh, test examiner, I said, I thought, what can I, I really want this job, don't I? Shall I say anything to him? You know, said I. So I thought, oh, blow it. I thought, just we come into the end of the test. I thought, you know, I said, I said, if I pass this test, I said, I can get a job. <laughs> and you might as well say it. <laughs> I thought, yeah, what have I got to lose? And, yeah, he, and exactly. he said, you must have been a nice man because he said, well, he said, I could have failed you on that last roundabout. He said, but you've passed. He said, and good luck with your new job. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Wow. So little stories that uh, happen to you in life, yeah. isn't it? And I think just on that topic, it's so, like, journalistic photography during the 60s, it was so important, you know, like, it was a prolific time for that. This very strange thing is that there was 18 photographers, but I was always the one that they picked if there was going to be trouble. <laughs> so I quite often was standing outside court cases, outside waiting for people to come out who were witnesses or the accused mm. or this sort of thing, something. But also, they sent me to every demonstration but of course I'd been to one already yeah. but I went to the, the last Springbok match anti-apartheid uh, at Twickenham I went to the riots outside the uh, American embassy which was the anti-Vietnam war demonstrators mm -hmm. and so on and so on you know you name it uh, the, of course in them days the Irish problem was very big I mean, there were bombs going off in London and Birmingham and people were demonstrating about the IRA and for the IRA or against the IRA. Lots of big cultural events. Yeah. My last boss when I was with, now this is when I was with Watford Evening Echo at Hemel Hempstead. I was very, very lucky that the last boss I had there, more or less, gave me free reign of what I wanted to do. Mm. Also, I began to take photographs, what I call ironic humour, yeah. it became a sort of specialist subject of mine. And I used to go on jobs, particularly looking for that angle. It makes you double look and double take, I guess. Double like look and you, double take. You, you assume. Yeah. So when you began to photograph the sort of like an artistic career in Swansea, you went to take pictures of Daniel Jones, Vernon Watkins, Alfred James, Kerry Richards. Mm. What was it like as well? Because you were je that generation just after the sort of time in Swansea that had been very creative and prolific. What legacy did that have? Swansea, yeah. I mean, it's a strange thing. I think the 
There are two reasons. One, I think I'd bought Under Milk Wood with uh, Richard Burton reading it. I used to almost wore it out, I think, that the two LPs when I was in my student flat. I used to love listening to it. And, but the other main reason was that I discovered in the Glyn Vivian the works of Carrie Richards. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, the Glyn Vivian was full of Victorian portraits and landscapes in big gilded frames. And I thought it was so boring, but there was just one room of Kerry Richards, and it just blew me apart. I just thought, wow, who is this guy, you know? So when I decided in the second year of college to do a series of portraits of these friends of Dylan Thomas, it was really an excuse to go and see Kerry Richards. And, of course, I wrote to him, and I went to see his house in Edith Grove in London, Wow, you know, yeah. it was uh, amazing. And, and, of course, involved in that group was uh, Alfred Jaynes, mm. or Fred Jaynes, as they called him. And Fred Jaynes lived in Dulwich. He was another very good artist from Swansea, but shared a flat with Dylan. You see, that was the connection to yeah. Dylan. You see. And Daniel Jones was Dylan's schoolmate. He was his best friend. Mm. Vernon was, again, a, a fellow poet, mm. uh, probably one of... Dylan was supposed to be his best man at his wedding, but I think he got drunk and he didn't turn up. But, I mean, that's typical of Dylan. Yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, Dylan went through periods of being in the wilderness. But uh, I thought, I'm not saying I discovered it, mm. they used to call them the Cardoma boys. But I call them the Swansea gang. They met with a lot of other people in the Cardoma cafe. But that particular very close group of very close friends of Dylan were, I think, the Swansea gang. And that made them unique. And therefore, I published a book called Swansea, Reflections in Black and White, which is a series of old photographs of Swansea, very much of how I remembered Swansea as a child and before. So you had pictures of the Mumbles, uh, two pages on the Mumbles train, a couple of pages on the Blitz and and what happened and the building and the destruction of the Blitz, and then the the beach, Swansea Bay. But in that book, there was a chapter, a paragraph, where I put the Swansea gang. And really, the book was published so that I could put... It was a, a, a vehicle for the photographs of the Swansea gang. Yeah. So they're part of Swansea's history then as well? I think... Well, I've always thought they were so important. Mm. If you look at them as a group, they changed how we feel about art, of poetry, of music. Come on. They were all from the same town. Mm. It's quite an unusual... I thought if anything happens to me and I I thought if I put them in a book at least the library would buy some books and they'd put one in the local collection so it won't get worn out so I thought well and also I thought I'll go to the Glen Vivian and I said um, said, the curator there at the time was a Mr Bunt who was a very bumptious little fella portly I think is is the word I said would you like some pictures of Kerry Richards and Alfred James, perhaps, but particularly Kerry Richards, because you have a lot of his work there. Oh, young man, he said, this is an art gallery. We don't have photographs in here. I walked out of there, and I was absolutely crestfallen. But there was me thinking that actually Kerry Richards is the greatest painter, I think, yeah. that came out of Wales. Far more progressive than, say, Innes or Augustus John. Mm. I mean, OK, they were famous, but and Kerry Richards really... I think he's as good as Picasso, to be honest with you. Anyway, I'm biased. My eldest son is called Kerry. Yeah. <laughs>
my middle son is called Evan. Now, who would be Evan? Evan Walters. Evan Walters, of course. And that was my father's fault in a way because my father introduced me to Evan Walters. Wow, wow. Uh, and when I did my MA dissertations, mm -hmm. I, I, I wrote a piece about Evan Walters. I, I wrote about one painting which is in Angerwell Church. It's called The Condemned Man at Pentonville Prison. I think that's maybe the title. Anyway, it's about the man who's going to be hanged at Pentonville Prison. And uh, he's standing, not, in, not with the other prisoners, in the chapel, in the prison chapel. Communion, that's what it's called, communion at Pentonville Prison. The man who's about to die is kept separate from the other prisoners. He's going to his last service in, in the chapel. Very yeah, you know, it's a very interesting painting. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. if I've written a whole thesis about that. Yeah, there's lots uh, of that. Uh, and the, but the saddest thing is that <laughs> I don't know why I'd ever thought about it, but I mean, I've seen the painting in. Angelwell Church, and my parents were married there, you know? and uh, Evan Walters gave it to the church in memory of his mother and father. Wow. But, Is it uh, still there? It's still there, hanging in the, in the main church. Yeah, it's worth a look at. And uh, when you met Kerry Richards in the studio, did you meet his wife, Frances Richards? Did I see her? Very fleetingly. Mm. I might have heard her or seen her in the background. I didn't photograph her. Mm. I didn't talk to her, really. I, my main job, I was there to photograph Kerry, and I was sort of... That's what I did. I mean, and I, I was only there a couple of hours, perhaps. Recently, there was an exhibition of Francis's work at the Glenvivian. It was magnificent. Absol I went to see it at least three times, maybe, and I photographed it. Mm. Um, and, and I made a Christmas card out of it. Right. One of the paintings of angels. You know, every year I do an angel, a photograph of an angel. I have all her books, all her books here, her poetry and her, and her artwork. Yeah, oh, so she yeah. was an artist mm. and a poet. I didn't even realise she was a poet as well. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean absolutely. And so. very strangely enough, I mean years later, of course, Herman lived in the same street, Edith Grove. <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd heard it before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you know if that if he moved there on purpose? No, well I think why you would move in Edith Grove is that there are houses there, beautiful. What are they? Georgian, maybe Victorian, three stories at least. Mm. And they all have studios. Yeah, it seems like it was always been an artist's spot. I mean, Kerry's studio was on the first floor. Mm. Joseph's studio was where the garden might have been because you went down some stairs into it. So is that where your photos of Joseph Hitman are taken, at Edith Grove? Yeah. Yeah, because I've seen right one of him sitting on the stairs. And That's you, right. Yeah, so you could, I got the sense of yeah. studio. Yeah, with a trim fold, mm -hmm. which is rather ironic. Because nobody had trim they they were big in there. When were the trim trim for the eighties maybe? I don't know, seventies. Uh, I mean everybody wanted a trim fold, but you know he had still had his trim fold, <laughs> and he had uh, a pile of telephone directories on the. So he'd obviously that's where he'd sit and do his sort of business. Yeah, on, on that's where his phone was. That's where his directory was. <laughs> And then he had a lovely big leather chair that he would, when he wanted to rest, because he was getting on a bit there. And but then a tiny little kitchen to the right of the stairs with a Belson sink, yeah, a tap, and a kettle yeah. to make a cup of tea. You know, basic things that you need in an artist's studio. Needed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did your interview in the Tate Archive project for Joseph Herman, and it was really interesting what you said about how those details they are part of history. 
So I'd like to talk about your technique now when you take portraits. Yeah. It's like very important to me that when I took the pictures of Carrie Richard and I offered them to the Glyndwyn Gallery, now whether you should make this public on your blog, I don't know, but I was very upset. Some years later, I offered them to the National Library and they were more than pleased to accept them as a gift. All of them, 180 photographs of the Swansea Gang. They, these are large negatives and I was worried about them not surviving because they were getting older and they're on acetate, you know, and they need to be stored properly. Mm -hmm. And the National Library do store things properly. But they made copy negatives. They put the original negatives into a deep store where it's in some inert gas, like a prison cell. And everything like old documents like on vellum and things like that, all these things that might deteriorate and like old acetate film, uh, like moving film, the early movies, they're all like in, in these cells. Do they go through those sort of fridges before you put them in as well? So I don't no, know, but there's, there's no big pipes, wheels that they turn to yeah. open the doors and it takes half an hour to depressurize them. So they're not very keen to open and depressurize them to but you don't need to because they printed everyone, even the one that didn't come out sort of thing. Then they wanted to bind them into books, two books. And then they said, would you have any preference in the colour of the binding? Because I noticed on their shelves of bound photographs that they were all green, National Library green, if you like. <laughs> and I said, no, no, can I have red? Yeah. And of course, my two volumes stick out. You can know which were mine because there are only two red ones there. Right. All the rest are green. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> so when you're looking through, yeah. it's like, okay, yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah, isn't that great? It took them a while to get round to the binding. So I, I rang up one day and I said, Oh, I said, um, where, when are these books going to be ready? I said, I'd love to see them. Oh, I said, Don't you know our storage policy? I said, Hang on, what are you talking about? <laughs> storage policy. <laughs> well, it's 300 years. I said, oh, and every now and again, we every 25 years, we pull some photographs out to check them to see if they're deteriorating. Now, if they're deteriorating, then we can do something about it and save them. You see. Yeah. But they, they'd already done half of that job because they'd made new negatives, mm. they'd printed everything, mm. they'd bound them in volumes. I mean, what more can you do? <laughs> so aren't they lovely people? And they that have... And then they had uh, I had an exhibition of a hundred portraits. Well, one day, quite a few years after this, I met someone in a pub, a portrait painter called Peter Edwards, who was talking to an art organizer from North Wales. In this, when I lived in Shropshire, I was working for North Wales newspapers at the time, and uh, I was mourning about how I could not get anyone to support this project of photographing artists and writers in Wales. Yeah. No one was interested at all. Actually, it was after it was after that meeting I had him that I gave him the photographs. So I'm trying to get him coordinating right in the timing. The art organizer said, "Have you ever thought about the National Library? They collect photographs, and they have well, they now have over a million photographs in their collection. <laughs> yeah, and they buy photographs of it's, contemporary photography. It's interesting how much that has changed in the perception of photography from going, oh, it doesn't deserve to be in an art gallery. Yeah. And as a, at the time, it took like a more sort of archivist approach. To well, it. they started up in 1911, the National Library of Wales opened in Aberystwyth, mm. and they, in their charter, is photography. Brilliant. 
And, and not only that, they have the largest collection of paintings in Wales, much bigger than the National Museum of Wales. 30,000 paintings. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, but they also collect film and music and records. And you name it, it's everything. They collect everything. That's really brilliant. It is brilliant. You, you've got to, and they're so, they're so lovely and careful with everything. I'm proud of them and I try and help them as much as I can. I mean, when somebody, a friend of mine had a business of stained glass in Swansea and I went there one day and there were all these cartoons of windows that had been made by this company over the years, since the 1930s. So there were hundreds of these windows of churches throughout Wales wow. and Canada and America. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I, I, I can't store them anymore. I don't know what to do with them. I, I don't know what to do with them. I'm going to have to throw them away or something. I said, oh, no, no. Mm. So I rang the National Library. I said, have you got a van? I said, can you get to Swansea now? And do you know what? They couldn't believe they left. Yeah. <laughs> because they had the Celtic glass cartoons, which yeah. Celtic glass were the main manufacturers of stained glass in Britain, the world, or whatever. And they'd also, before that, been given John Petz's lino blocks and, and wood blocks for his wood, wood engraving, and also his cartoons for his stained glass yeah. windows. Oh, it's so nice. So to have. they are then, and then recently I've been mm. photographing before mm. they all die off, a lot of the artists who have been involved in the stained glass industry. Because mm. I feel stained glass has always been quite prevalent in South Wales. Yeah. Very important because Swansea is very important with stained glass because it has, in the art college, the stool, school of stained glass, architectural stained glass, not art glass as mm. such. They do art glass as well. But it's mainly for people who make stained glass for buildings, not necessarily churches. Mm. I mean, there's a very, very good stained glass artist who lives in the Harvard, would you believe? Yeah. Uh, and he's made the glass for the Senate in Cardiff. Yeah, Alexander uh, Balashenko. That's correct. He's done glass for the, is it the newest tallest skyscraper in London? Yeah, I mean, he is amazing. Yeah. He's internationally important. And he's from Swansea, and he, and he, and he lives in the Harvard. He's he loves working it. away. Loves yeah. Now, why, why I tell you these stories about mm. the National Library and the storage, you see, changed completely the way I was working. Because I was thinking, 300 years, somebody's going to be looking at my photographs in 300 years' <laughs> time. What are they going to be looking at? What will they want to see? If there was a, someone inside a room, for instance, if it was an artist or a writer sitting in his living room, and there was a box in the corner, a square box, and they would say, what's that? Oh, they used to call it a television. They used to sit and watch it. Yeah. Oh, that's a strange thing to do, you see. Yeah. So when I photograph someone, the first thing I usually do is I write to them or I send them an email and I say, uh, I've no instructions really, but don't move anything. <laughs> okay. Don't tidy up. Wow. Don't change anything. Mm -hmm. Don't go and have your hair done. Yeah. Because you know, I just want it as it is. And I can remember going to say Shani Reese's James's house, the marvellous lady from Mid Wales, artist, and her kitchen had a long, lovely, big pine table, a real farmhouse kitchen. And on the table there was a plastic bag, a little bag with boots, the chemist on it. She'd obviously been to boots and bought something. And she went to move and crunch up this bag and move it, you see. I said, oh, don't move that. Yeah. 
Well, in 300 years' time, they'll be wondering what, what's boots. Yeah. You know, because I mean, we've lost Woolworths, haven't we, already? On TV, I saw a film just from 10 years ago, and it was like a Tesco bag, and you can see how dated it looked. It's just yeah. interesting, even like how logos yeah. have changed. So. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, because if you go to the Victoria and Albert Museum, when I was working for newspapers in London, and um, I, one of my jobs as a junior person junior photographer was to do research so i'd have to go to these places because they'd be doing say an article about uh, valentine cards so you go along and you'd look i mean victorian valentine cards for instance they were very lacy and loving and slushy if you like or they could be bugger off i don't want to see you again you're horrible they're the two different sorts of victorians and you think hang on but they did not even just collect greetings cards and they still buy them now so they're keeping their records up to date they collect carrier bags they collect posters theater posters yeah i mean the 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 victoria and albert museum have every poster that every theater bring out they deliberately collect every that's not marvelous it's huge yeah it is marvelous so that's why it's 300 years is the, the problem and I think it's rather nice that my photographs, and I'm I'm pretty methodical about it, really. I was going to say, so I can tell you've definitely got a methodical approach. Was that influenced by working for a newspaper? You've kind of want to have that rigorous approach. Well, newspapers, basically, you're telling a story, aren't you? Yeah. So if you're photographing someone, it's nice to include their environment, mm. if you're allowed to. A lot of newspapers cut photographs up and it's a photographer's nightmare when you go to a lot of trouble to take a photograph and if the person is standing to the right or the left of the photograph and it includes other things Mm. you know i mean uh, a classic case would be john petz's second wife kusha petz john had married again uh, and left kusha uh, but kusha was still living in san stefan and I photographed her. She sat in an armchair on the left-hand side of the fireplace, all the way along the fireplace, the mantelpiece. Now, mantelpieces are not accidental, are they? Mm. People create mantelpieces and put things on them. Yeah. And on the right-hand side of the mantelpiece was a little pot with some palm crosses in it. Now, when the National Library exhibition came on, mm. there was a couple of photographs that they wouldn't put up. One of them was Kusha Petz and the palm crosses. Who would notice these palm crosses? Why wasn't that allowed? I think they were aware of the circumstances. She was left alone. And there was this, the photograph was very much of a lonely person sat on her own mm. in the chair by the fire. And there was something about it oh. that was telling another story. Yeah. It's quite interesting because traditionally, like, fireplaces... Because they're mantelpieces. Yeah. Now, coming back to the bowling mm-hmm. that you mentioned... I arrive at a house at 10 o'clock, normally, mm-hmm. within half an hour of 10 o'clock. It's time for coffee. Shall we have a cup of coffee? What's a good idea? Sometimes they ask me, mm-hmm. do I want a cup of coffee? What yeah. a good idea. Yeah. So you sit down, often in the kitchen, mm-hmm. and you relax and you have a chat. Yeah. And I get to know the person that I'm coming to photograph. Yeah. And they're more relaxed after a chat. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking around. Now, Ernest's table is laid and it's a nice coffee cup. I noticed that the door is red and I noticed on the kitchen table there's the communist newspaper 
It's not an accidental thing that's a paintwork in the house. No. The doors and the, doors. and the architraves are painted red. Mm. And the coffee cups are red. Man, a socialist, perhaps, maybe. Uh, and his wife is there. And mm. it's nice when their partner is there. Yeah. You know, whether it be a man or a woman, it doesn't matter. Mm. It just makes life a little bit more interesting. Mm. If they're not, or don't wish to, I mean, sometimes there's a dog or a cat. Mm. But that can be included. Mm. Mm. The dogs usually are very unfortunate because I've had a lot of dogs who, as soon as they've been photographed, seem to pop their clogs. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> and that's happened with, 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 with a lot of people. I photographed David Hearn. Yeah. You know, and uh, I sent him some photographs, and he said, "Oh, thank you for the photographs, but the dog's dead." The curse of shot. <laughs> curse of Bernard Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah, and a chap from Aberystwyth, he was head of art in Aberystwyth. He had a corgi who was very overweight and sat on the back of a settee, <laughs> and he was called Winford, oh. after Winford Vaughan Thomas. Quite strange, isn't it? Mm. And things are are strange in life. It's interesting though, because we all curate our homes to convey something. Yes, you do, and I think it, it, what's important is also, I often, when I'm going, you see, nearly always, mm. we walk towards the gate. You don't live in a huge mansion where you've got, there's a driveway. Zabole lived in a gate, mm. with a house with a, with, a, with a wrought iron gate, and it was about from the from the road to the front door would be about 20 foot, mm. not far. So the, the, the wrought iron gate is here, and I photograph him with the wrought iron gate with the front door behind him. And there is a story about the name of the house and the names on the gate. Yeah. And so I can't remember now what it is, mm. but that is quite, and I only learned afterwards that this was quite a coincidence, really. But it's important to know what sort of house he lives in. He lives in a large Victorian detached house, rather nice, big rooms, high rooms, nice. It affects what um, paintings you can achieve, yeah. as well as yeah. money. I mean, sometimes the artist in Swansea paints like Lowry. Mm. What's his name? Nick Holly. Nick Holly. Now, I photographed Nick Holly, and what sort of house does he live in? I don't know whether he still lives there. He was living in a council house. Yeah. He didn't have a lot of money. Mm. So he painted in the living room on the settee. Mm. So I've seen the picture, yeah. yeah. He paints with his paints here, yeah. um, all his bits and pieces. Mm. And it's, it's, it's a bit awkward, really, mm. but he's quite happy. He's there. And, he's, and if you photograph the outside of the house, mm. it's just a normal, normal council house in St Thomas. And I think his paintings are sort of quite... Like simple, smaller scale, like capturing daily moments and stuff. Yeah. Whereas Zabole, like his canvases are huge, aren't they? Some of them. They're quite big, yeah. And uh, quite, yeah. they are almost like uh, as if they were done from a drone. <laughs> yeah. Because they're plans, aren't they? I think they're plans of towns, of the town where he lived. He did have enjoyed drones. <laughs> but yeah, there's strange perspectives. Because his people are strange too, Zabole's people. Yeah, and I liked that his. You know, like you said, he's quite owl-like in the photos. Yeah, fascinating mm. face. I don't very often get close-ups. No. Very, very, very rare. The one, the only one I can think of was Minnenich, Robert Minnenich, the poet. Mm -hmm. And I photographed him, just his head, 
not even his neck, I don't think, just his head. But he had such a beautiful head. Mm. Unfortunately, like I saw, he's getting older and he's not as beautiful as he was anymore. But he had the most amazing eyes. Mm. Unbelievable. The strange thing was, I photographed Jan Morris, just died recently. I think because going back to the original, how you start with the Dylan Thomas, friends of Dylan Thomas, mm. you have two poets, two artists yeah. and a musician. So that's a good, that's five slices of a cake. Yeah. So I'm photographing. When I went to the National Library mm. and I said, you can have these photographs of the Swansea gang, they were really more than interesting. I took a carrier bag with some photographs in. I'd already started the Welsh Arts Archive. Mm. When I went, to, it was some years after I took the photographs of Kerry Richardson. Some, it was, wasn't immediately I went there. It was quite some years later, I'd realised that this group of people mm. weren't just artists, they were writers mm. and poets. Mm. And it was the symbiotic relationship between the artist and the writer that was so important. Mm. So therefore, this happens today. So if you go to R.S. Thomas, you realise that Ozzy Reese Osman from... San Stefan is very much influenced by the work of R.S. And R.S. influenced many painters. Yeah, it's intertwined, the story. And like you said, it began with, like, Kerry Richards was inspired by Dylan Thomas. So He was. I love his work to the poems of Dylan. They're so powerful and they're so erotic in a way. They're like plants almost twisting around, if you like. You can make plants into texty things, I don't know. They're, they're just the whole thing is just... You know, if you will go around these walls, you will find other influences by, by other people. Lots of schools and links. Well, the book, the book, you see, uh, it'd be nice to have another book, but the, the, the book, the only book at the moment is called Pieces of a Jigsaw. Mm, yeah. And that's exactly what it is. And my life has been a bit of a jigsaw, mm, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. just pieces. Uh, strange coincidences. Mm. You know, you, you go to a gallery and you say, who is that painting by? Oh, it's by David Tress. Oh, where is he? Oh, he's in Haverford West. I'll go and see him. And go to Plaskville in the Weather and you see Emerus Parish graphite, graphite drawings. And you think, wow, who is this guy? Oh, says the curator, he's Emerus Parish. He's Welsh-speaking. He's from the Clean, but he lives in Great Yarmouth. Oh, have you got his address? I'll go and see him. Because I'm interested in people who are Welsh mm. and maybe working in anywhere in the world. Yeah. Or yeah. I, they could be of any nationality mm. working in Wales. Mm -hmm. So it's Wales that is the Welsh Arts Archive, isn't it? Yeah. So it's Wales is the connection. But um, the very odd thing was that the National Library of Wales, although when, when they, I took these photographs and mm. I put them, and I said to them, this, the people I'd met who told me about the National Library, they gave me a list of a hundred people. They said, if you happen to photograph these people, or had photographs of these people, because we're not allowed to commission work, they said. That's within our charter, we don't commission work of photographers or artists. But if you happen to have photographs of these people, we'd buy them. <laughs> oh, wow. Nice. No, they gave, they gave me a list of a hundred people. <laughs> so I had an exhibition of a hundred people. Uh, okay. But not one writer. Hang on, I'm working for a library here. 
<laughs> wouldn't think he'd have a writer involved somewhere along yeah. the line. And there's me saying, it's so important, the relationship between the writers and the artist. You think they love that, Ambrose? And it wasn't until re fairly recently, at mm -hmm. Christmas time, I gave them a present. I gave them 20 prints of Welsh writers, poets, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Including some very important people like Aris Thomas. That's so recent. What, what yeah. I found uh, interesting as well is when you handed over the exhibition um, catalogue from Women's Nation Line of the National Library, because they've selected what artists to show, mm. it kind of jumped out as well that they, weren't, they didn't include as many women artists because I know that you're conscious to take pictures yeah. like, to be equal. Um, so I think that's interesting from an art historical perspective about like there are these artists out there but they're not included. I tried to include as many people, but there are more men than women in it. But that wasn't deliberately by me. I try to be equal if I can. Because I think if, a, say, a photographer, for instance, if a woman photographer is good, she's a good photographer. Yeah. Never mind that she's a woman or a man. Yeah. If she's a good artist, it doesn't matter if she's a woman or a man. Yeah. Or if she's a writer, the same, or whatever. It, it, sex doesn't come into it as far as I'm concerned or whether they're black or white or yeah. whether they whatever yeah. I mean, or whether they're gay or, or whatever mm -hmm. transgender mm -hmm. I've been there well before these people you know yeah, no, no. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really matter to me it doesn't make life more interesting if anything <laughs> doesn't it I think so. Um, I think that's what I mean. I think though that your book captures it well because I know, like. I mean, never mind. Uh, you've got, uh, for instance, another lovely photograph I think here of Alice Conran. I photographed her because I photographed her father, Tony Conran. And he has got cerebral palsy and it's in, in the latter stages of it. And he sat in the garden in this metal chair and he twisted thing and it's as twisted as he is therefore he would not photograph him would you because he's disabled but that's it is part of life when we come back to ironic humor this is one of a poet mm. and here he is sat on a bench but i'm being very meticulous mm. the slats of the bench are equal mm. the flagstones mm. on the floor mm. are equally distant and the tree behind him is in, in the exact centre and it goes straight through the centre of his head. And I showed that to a guy once. He said, Bernard, he said, he said, I know you're a good photographer, he said, but I think you would have noticed the tree. <laughs> and you're like, yes, yeah, I did. <laughs> what is it directly lined up? Well, I'm taking the mic a bit, aren't I? Yeah. What are your memories of when you photographed Gillian Still as well? Because you went into her sculpture studio? Yeah, I think I went into the house. And I just loved the house, and I, 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 I haven't got any photographs here of her, so I can't tell you about them really. But I mean, I can remember going in the house, and I can remember going to Clandilo to a shop in Clandilo that sells her work, a little studio art gallery that sells studio Fountain pop. Fountain Fine Art Gallery? Could be, yeah, could well be. And seeing this work and thinking, oh, I wish I could afford this. I'd buy all of these. Yeah. And I still haven't got a piece of Julian Stills um, work. I'd love it. Or maybe I can afford it now. <laughs> and buy some. And lo it'd be lovely to meet her again. Yeah. You know, it's often these people become, quite a few of them become friends. Yeah. It's not just one visit, you know. So many sadly are just one visit. Mm. 
I mean, one visit to Joseph Herman, he didn't live that much longer. One visit to Carrie and Christie. How many times did I see Captain Willie? You know, loads of times. Because when I restarted this and left newspapers, it was, it was about 19, in the 1990s, wasn't it? And uh, it was quite about 96, something like that. I thought, who, who should I photograph? Because I, I, I had this thing where I'd given these photographs to the National Library. And, and all that had happened. But who should I photograph? And I didn't really know. And I thought, well, who's the most famous person I know in Wales? And it was the, who's the only man who's ever been knighted? You know, yeah, Sir Captain uh, Sir Captain Williams. I was he a, a Royal Academician as well. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> President of the Royal Cambrian Academy, President of Everton. Mm-hmm. And so I went to see Captain. And Captain was so enthusiastic and so helpful about what I'm doing. That's a good idea. So I said, well, Captain, I said, would you give me a list of six people? Who I should see? Who should I photograph in Wales? Oh, so he gave me a list of six people. Mm. On top of his list was Will Roberts. Will Roberts, he said, is the best artist in South Wales. Not Wales. <laughs> South. Who's the best artist in Wales? Captain Williams. <laughs> right, so off to Will I go. And I yeah. see Will. And I ask him the same question. Can you give me a list of six people I should see? Yeah. So this is how... Pieces of a jigsaw starts. Yeah, it's like a chain of connections. Yeah, it's a connection. Right, so top of Will's list was John Pett. And that's where John Pett's comes from. Oh, when you met him. And see him soon. Why? Now, one of the strange things is I don't ask questions. Because I'm not a journalist. I'm not a person who's going away and writing these things down. I should do. <laughs> I've started on my website a little bit. You know, I started when I went to see Cuffin and that sort of thing. But I don't necessarily want... My job is to photograph things, and that's the story. I tell the story through my photographs. John Petts died within 12 months. He had cancer. Will Roberts knew that. Will Roberts didn't say that. John Petts looked fine to me. And it's just how these things became. Like when talking to Cuffin, I mean, he would tell me stories like, who was his best friend? Mm. You know, his best friend was Ivor Roberts Jones, the sculptor whose most famous piece of work is standing outside the Houses of Parliament and it's Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. And who was president of the RA? Who proposed the sculptor? Mm-hmm. His best friend. <laughs> Mrs Churchill wasn't too happy. She had her own ideas about art and this was Rodinesque, wasn't it? It's a magnificent statue. Yeah. I mean, I think it's the best statue of Churchill there is. And Sullivan... Because, yeah, he didn't like Graham Sullivan's portrait. Sullivan, yeah, Sullivan painted his picture. It was burnt, wasn't it, in the end, I think. Yeah. I think it was burnt. It's not, it's not, it doesn't exist. It's like a lost painting. The, the, the drawing for it was when Sullivan died, he left all the work that he did in Wales for some reason, which included the drawing of Churchill's portrait, which yeah. is magnificent. It's as good as the painting. Yeah, it's I bet. And it also shows the, the line where, the pencil lines where he's, you know, to set, grid up the painting. To grid up the painting, yeah. And everything, all that. And it was, it belongs to the National Museum of Wales, but they don't have it on display. And it was on display in uh, Picton Castle when they had a gallery there. And the people that owned Pic- Picton Castle decided they were going to close the gallery down, unfortunately, because the Sullivan collection was housed there. Where is the Sullivan collection? Is there an it's estate? It's in the cellar, and the, underneath the museum in Cardiff. <laughs> it's painful. I think we need an art gallery for Wales. Yeah. A Museum of Modern Art, MoMA Museum. Well, we have MoMA and Mercanso, who are marvellous. But really and honestly, we need something a little bit bigger. We need a National Museum of Modern Art, Wales. That's a good 
and it doesn't necessarily have to be in Cardiff. And my my idea was, and I've been campaigning about this now. I've actually given that because I'm not going to get my way. <laughs> it, it should be in St David's. So I think, in a way, St David's is the spiritual home, the heart of Wales. I love the cathedral there, and I think there's something about St David's, and. Where the junior school was, the old Victorian junior school was, you have a site there overlooking the cathedral. Can you imagine it? That'd be beautiful, yeah. Fabulous. It would it would feel spiritual as well, like drive and visit that, see all this great 20th century art and look over to the cathedral. Anyway, that was my idea. It never I like happened. The they, they, they built a they built a um, visitor centre with a small gallery in it. Oh they do build something. Yeah. It's oh, just as you go into St David's on the left-hand side, opposite the Grove Hotel. It is a visitor centre, that's all it is. Mm. And in the visitor centre, they have a small gallery. Mm. And they have visiting exhibitions. But what it should be is a bigger... Yeah, OK, it's not on where I thought it should be, but it's where it is now. It should be bigger, and they should have an exhibition of Sutherland's Pembrokeshire work. Definitely. Yeah? Yeah. And Which was in Picton Castle. Mm. And they should have people like Tress and other... Pembrokeshire artists and also visiting exhibitions. Yeah. Give the National Well the National Library have actually opened a subsection in the library of Haverford West. Oh. <laughs> uh, Haverford West Library now has an art gallery attached to it. See there's there's loads of art galleries though across Wales, yeah. you know, so um, because you can imagine how much work there is in the National Library mm. that never and the National Museum that never gets seen. And same, I noticed, like, okay, Vivian, they've got amazing paintings that are in the schoolroom. We've got, we've got um, a huge collection of Cedric Morris. Yes. We've got a huge, well, the best collection of Evan Walters. They've got amazing Zabole. Zabole. And Cavartha Castle, I love their collection as well. Well, in Cavartha Castle, they have Alfred James's mm. Salome. And I think that is probably my favourite, one of my favourite paintings of all time, because if you look at it, it's the head of Salome, they chopped the head off, and it's the, the two women, and there's a, a dead head with the blood coming out of the neck, well, the, it's just the head and the neck. The dresses the women are wearing are absolutely, if you, if you could paint textiles like this, it's a miracle. This is one of the most beautiful paintings, and it was bought by the Contemporary Art Society of Wales, and given to Kapapa Castle, which is such a small, really, gallery, that at least it's always on display. <laughs> if it's not out on a travelling exhibition somewhere, mm. it's on display and you can you can and you can buy a postcard of it. It's there. always there. What's your favourite gallery in Wales that's not known as well? There are so many small galleries in Wales, as you said. Mm. If you go back not much more than twenty years ago, Wales had nothing. Mm. And there was one of the I think he was the first curator of the Glyn Vivian Art Gallery way back in the 30s, wrote a book. Art in Wales, yes, if you read that, it's there, it is. Wait, the artists in Wales. Artists in Wales. And he said there's nothing in Wales. Is worth, it? Worth bothering about. Yeah, I've read that one. Have <laughs> you read that? Read. Well, he just it's, said there's, there's it's no tradition. It said they've got... Nothing. There's nothing in Wales. They've got the um, poetry, music, but there's yeah. no tradition of art in Wales. Yeah. And he championed people like Joseph Herman and Henry Cottle to influence the artists. It's not true. No, it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> so we know the man was lying. But the thing is, it's only recent years, the last few decades, mm. that we have had books 
We have Peter Lord, for instance, yeah. who has done the three volumes there. The most amazing piece of work that has brought that fact up to the present day, almost. It's almost to the present day. And Wales at the moment is buzzing. It is buzzing. So we have books about the artists, individually and collectively, about what's going on. We have galleries. So we have a new uh, Oriel Q in Narbus, for instance. It's moved from the, the, the old uh, town uh, music hall type building. And now it's down, it's still down the main street there on the right hand side. And uh, Oriel Q uh, one of these very, very small galleries, really. They've got a Peter Spriggs. He's the next artist there. And you've got um, Canvas in Cardiff, a small little gallery mm. where the artist studios as well. Now, Swansea, mm. Swansea, just Swansea alone. I mean, you've got the GS Gallery. You've got, you've got Elysium. My goodness me, Elysium are bursting at the seams. There are four buildings now. They have now, they have the Lithium Bar and three galleries yeah, in High Street. Mm -hmm. And then they have Orchard Street mm. with about 30, 40 studios. Indeed, yeah. And then we have the old uh, nightclub building in the cellars there, there are more studios. Mm. And then in uh, opposite the Albert Hall in that street that runs up there, the first building on the left hand side. Are three floors of artist studios. They have about a hundred artist studios alone. That's just a lithium. Mm. So concentrated as well there, all on High Street. They're spread around the town, mm. the buildings, mm. but you've got a hundred artist studios mm. and you've got a fairly active art college. Yeah. And you have a new curator at the Glyn Vivian who is doing an excellent job. She is, yeah, Karen, Karen McKinnon. Karen McKinnon. Mm. Anyway, that's just one. And it's here, in the Rondo, mm. a small little town. Mm. You've got the Workers' Gallery, a sort of cooperative, self-funding organisation. Amazing. Yeah. And there it is. It's worth a visit. It is. You know. I saw it on your website and I hadn't heard of it before, but I think that's why, I think, for me, that one, it just showed how much there are so many galleries around. It's, yeah. it's, br it's brilliant. It is yeah. brilliant. And you've got Mama, for instance, and Mama have been so, so good to me and so helpful. I had a small exhibition there. Mm. The Museum of Modern Art, Wales, my country. But um, I mean, Aberystwyth, for instance. Aberystwyth has the Art College Gallery. You have the Town Gallery. You have the National Library of Wales. You have the University Art Centre with three or four galleries within it, including one which is totally dedicated to photography. So Wales is um, ram gang full of artists and, and artists working and, and artists being displayed. And that's the great thing, I think, about Elysium. They're not only just providing studio space, which is at a, a, you know, at a rate that artists can afford, because mm. artists have never got any money, but they're also providing exhibition space for them to sell. Yeah. Cardiff, I'm not an expert on Cardiff, but I know they have G39. Yeah, G39's a studio mm. art space. Mm. But I'm very disappointed that uh, a Cardiff School of Art is not where it, where it was. It's now, where it was, is now a block of flats. And the, the, the art college itself mm. is actually up on the inner ring road in the old, what was the old technical college. And I, I rang them up one day to say, 
where do you have have you got a gallery because they used to have a magnificent gallery I mean art college you should have a gallery yeah you need that yeah. you need just to walk from a lecture into a gallery and and you need something for the students to hang their work. Mm. What would your advice be to upcoming artists as you've been around so long in the Welsh art scene? Never give up. When I was at school, I went to the careers teacher and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to be a photographer. Don't be silly. Nobody becomes a photographer. Well, it's not true. Because if you look around you, the world is full of photographs. It's full of mm. magazines, billboards. Mm on television, everywhere. There's photographs everywhere around you. And so it's not true that nobody becomes a photographer. So I presume this man would have said, I want to be an artist. He would say, well, nobody becomes an artist. I think what he was saying, he said, well, well what should I be? Well, you should work for the Forestry Commission and you'd have a nice cottage in the woods and so you wouldn't have to pay rent and you'd be in the fresh air chopping yeah. trees down. Yeah. Hmm, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so there we are but you see that's the problem to become an artist like a photographer or an art photographer there is an artist I suppose in the world but it's not easy no it is not easy mm. so you have to be prepared to suffer for your art I'm afraid I don't think give up is an important thing to have said all the time and to you must not give up but you must also Put yourself out there. You must exhibit, and you know. I mean, I, one of my great friends was William Brown. There was a little group of us in Swansea who we had exhibitions in the Czech Republic. We had exhibitions in Bruges, which was magnificent. You know, we got around, and this little group of artists. There was a, a sculptor, Roger Motts from Carmarthen. There was a stained glass artist, uh, Nikita from uh, Mumbles, who's now gone back to live in the Czech Republic. So they were a stained glass artist, several artists, including Glenis Kerr. Mm -hmm. um, this little group of people, one of them was William Brown. And William Brown was a Scottish-Canadian Welshman. He was born in Canada, I think. He was born in Canada of Scottish parents, mm -hmm. but he came to live in Wales and he married a Welsh queen. Mm -hmm. I never, ever met William when he wasn't getting ready for an exhibition. Always. He was so prolific, so prolific. And he worked in an old church that was not a church anymore. It was a derelict church. Not derelict, but it was a church. And then it was, he bought it as, as an empty building. And it was, there was no heating in it. And it was so cold in the winter. He must have been used to it because he was from Canada, wasn't he? He must have been used to the cold. Yeah. But amazing. But he was always, you've got to say, and, and he would say at Christmas time, he'd say, now I'm going to make some small paintings, he said, oh, because yeah. people want small paintings for presents and they want affordable paintings. Mm. But they're more likely to buy small, affordable paintings at Christmas time. Mm -hmm. So he'd make these, and he'd make a series, he used to do the Marish Lloyd. So he, he, he used to do prints of the Marish Lloyd. Mm -hmm. So he'd, he'd do, and he used to do bears because he was from Canada. And, and these uh, various mythical beasts mm. also went. And uh, I think he used to do elks or whatever they call them in Canada. <laughs> but if you can make a living selling Canadian animals in Wales, then you're not doing bad. <laughs> but did he make a living? You see, because it was hard. He didn't actually starve. No, 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 no. But the only reason he, he made, did well was that he never gave up. 
We always have something to do. So I would say that is the most important thing, is, is to give up. And to be good at it, that would help. <laughs> if you've got to be good at it and then seriously ask it about it mm. and believe in yourself. Things. I mean, the people that have been so helpful to me on my way through and that things have come about because of how people, like, say, the National Library, like Tonsley University paying for the books. I mean, a book, to me, is a huge help. Yeah. I mean, as soon as that book came out, I mean, a lot of people bought it. Mm. A lot of people have seen it. And they say, ooh, did you do this? Did you do this? You know, wow. Well, isn't that a good idea? I wonder why nobody else has thought of photographing all the artists in Wales. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so important. Because it's so important to have documents as a book as well. It is, a book is very important. I mean, a website. Yeah. Today, we live in a modern world. Mm. And I, I would say that if you were an artist. I mean, if you were an artist, <clears throat> I'm always amazed when they don't have a website. Yeah. You must have a web. If you're an artist or a photographer, mm. You must have a website because the international the internet is the most powerful tool, mm. and and therefore you must use the social media, mm. Facebook and in Instagram because that's what people look at. Yeah, the first thing you do is Google someone's name, really, isn't it? So. If people are doing, you see, the Welsh Arts Archive is quite considerable now. How many do you estimate? Over a thousand, mm. roughly, but I don't know because. I, when I was working, before this lockdown, I mean, I was photographing sometimes five or six people a week, every week. Wow, You wow. see? So it's growing all the time. You and really have momentum. Yeah, I mean, I, and I, I couldn't... Re I'm, 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 I'm addicted to it, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm addicted to photographing artists. I'm addicted to the cause, and the cause is to record what is going on. Not what has gone on, because well, what has gone on, a lot of the poor people in this book have gone on because they're not here anymore. How many of them? I would say, I mean, Peter Prendergast, great artist. If I hadn't have bothered, how, how, who else would have? There, yeah. there was one other photographer who worked for the Arts Council in the 50s, roughly, 50s, 60s maybe. He photographed mainly writers, a few artists, but much more poets and writers. His archive eventually ended up now. He's gone to, he died, unfortunately. But the Arts Council, when I've asked them for money, I've never got any money for photographs of artists or writers. They've given up that idea. But they did at one time, in the early days of the Arts Council, they decided that it'd be a good idea to photograph particularly poets and writers so people know what they look like. Yeah, yeah. Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's funny how it changed. And I guess like now they think, oh, there's enough images out there. But I think... I don't know what it is what, now. What's important about your work is that it's really lovely to have a collection by one person in a way because it's the same style and format. It is very much the same style. And uh, they used to laugh at me when I was in newspapers. They used to call me 5.6. 5.6. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was my nickname, 5.6. <laughs> Is that, is that ratio or...? 5.6 is the middle size aperture. Okay. That's the hole in the lens, right? Yeah. And every photograph here, mm -hmm. generally speaking, uh, and every photograph that was in that exhibition catalogue I gave you, were taken at 5.6. <laughs> yeah, it looks, yeah. Why? <laughs> Why? Because it's not 
if, the, if it's a very small hole, the depth of field would be huge. If it was a wide hole, the depth of field would be very small. Therefore, if you had a person standing here, sitting there, if it was in a wide aperture, everything behind her would be out of focus. Yeah, it was, it was dark. If it was a very small aperture, it would take you a lot longer to take your photograph in time because time and aperture are related everything in photography is upside down and back to front which yeah. is true right and everything is correlated like that right? like that really helps think of it as like a clock it yeah. is a clock yeah. right? so if it was a small aperture then everything from the subject matter to infinity would be sharp and you don't really want to see to infinity <laughs> i mean i only want to see what's important but it's not it's not that important because it's that is slightly out. Yeah, it's not super sharp. The whole thing is not no. one. She's super sharp. Yeah, it's a subject. Mm. And the other thing, the silly things like feet are important, mm. mantelpieces are important, front doors are important because they tell me about the house they live in. Sometimes I photograph kitchens. You know, I've got Peter Lord sitting on his bed. <laughs> because why? Because Peter Lord's bedroom is surrounded in the paintings uh, from his most recent book which is actually in the other room which is about how welsh art you know started a long lot, lot longer ago than mr bell thought <laughs> thank you so much bernard come on stage learned a huge amount about welsh modern art history for being really great thank and you. like thank you for your commitment to the subject as well yeah um, no it's a, an obsession isn't it <laughs> it's a love really isn't it?